Play something tan-tan, something tragic. to the Mad Max Minute, where it's Mad Max meets Smooth Sax in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we are talking about Minute 12, which begins with Max entering Auntie's penthouse, and it ends with Tuntun responding to Auntie's request for music. Happy Friday, Julia. Oh, it's Friday. It's the end of the week. Excellent. We ended Wednesday's episode with Max stepping off of the elevator accompanied by this escort of guards and whatnot. And we start off this minute with him walking through the drapes and he enters the main room of Auntie's penthouse. And as always, Max is just stone-faced, keeping all of his cards close to his chest, not giving anything away. And we have been waiting for this moment specifically since season one of the Mad Max Minute because this is the moment where Max is once again in a scene with someone playing a saxophone. Yes, you mentioned that Max walks in and he's stone-faced like he always is. I think maybe I'm growing accustomed to Max's stony face because I read sadness in his eyes. The camera lingers on him as he's seeing the saxophone player. The camera lingers for a moment or two. And you're right, he is stone-faced. But at the same time, there's something in his eyes. He is looking at that saxophone player with meaning. I'm glad you saw it, because I actually felt a little gypped by the lack of emotion <laughs> which on his I... face because the saxophone was jesse's thing max would come home from three days on patrol and he would sit in the house and she would play the saxophone for him that was their thing yeah it was you're making me sad it is sad it when is you think sad. about it i can imagine that he perhaps has not heard a saxophone since jesse playing for him one thing that's abundantly clear though is that the tune that's being played is very different from what jesse was playing back in that first movie i think in my head i so want it to be the same song i know right that i'm like hearing things this tune that we're going to find out the character playing and his name is Tun Tun, but the tune that he's playing is just its more jazzy. It's more lively than the stuff that Jesse was ever playing. Jesse was always very melodic yeah. and almost classical in her style of playing, whereas Tun Tun is definitely more jazzy. You know, he's got a bit more life to it, more bounce, so to speak, because that's just who Auntie is. She is a pop diva after all. <laughs> Some deeper meaning in the saxophone player that I read was that in the book, they express some sort of spark or attraction between Auntie and Max. Mm -hmm. That doesn't really translate to the movie. No. Not at all. So if the screenplay was written to have a potential love interest for Max, I think having somebody else play the saxophone shows us that no matter the love interest, that person still wouldn't be enough to fill the hole that Jesse left. Hmm. I'm still disappointed that the guy playing Tun Tun is not Tim Capello. Well, yes, we all are. I mean, we've already addressed this issue 
I've already made that statement, <laughs> but it doesn't make it any less true. I imagine that it would have blown everyone's collective mind if they brought Joanne Samuel in Shut to up. be in this scene. Like, can you imagine? Okay, Max steps off the elevator, he hears saxophone music, and the camera changes perspectives, and instead of seeing Tun Tun Tattoo in a sumo rap playing the saxophone, that it was Joanne Samuel. And she wouldn't even have to be playing the same character. Like, she could play someone else entirely. But just the fact that she looks like Jessie, that would have blown Max's mind. It would have blown everybody's mind. I think my assumption, if I had seen that, my assumption would be that Max is seeing things triggered by the sound of the saxophone and we are seeing what he is seeing. Oh, 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 how about this? Max goes up to the penthouse. It's revealed that Joanne Samuel is playing the character, playing the saxophone. And it's revealed that Jesse did not die in the hospital, that she was only mostly unconscious, like in a coma or something like that. And so Max went off to do his revenge thing and wander out into the wasteland. Joanne Samuel, as Jesse, wakes up after the fact, out of her coma, has amnesia, and doesn't remember being married to Max, which is why 15 plus years can pass between Mad Max and Beyond Thunderdome. And so after collapse, she hooks up with Auntie, who was no one before the collapse, except the day after she was still alive, and the two of them are out in the wasteland. And Joanne Samuel's character whatever she wants to call herself, you know, post-amnesia Jessie, has no interest in ruling. She just wants to stick close to Auntie. So that's why Auntie keeps her up in the penthouse. That would have been amazing. Okay, you've been watching too much Wet Hot American Summer 10 years later. <laughs> but seriously, though, you can't tell me that wouldn't be just insane. Well, yes, it certainly would be insane. And I would be very interested in seeing that story. I mean, I'd be interested in seeing Auntie's story anyways. But if you throw a back from the almost dead amnesiac Jesse in there with her, it would just be, you know, twice the fun. It would give Max added reason to stick around Bartertown and maybe make a decision later on in this movie that would not get him sent out into the gulag. And that way we never have to run into children. Okay, let me pose this to you about amnesiac Jesse. Does amnesiac Jesse know that she had a baby? that died no okay that's either good or really bad see that's the thing though max still remembers like max grieved her and sprog and so he'd be like we were happy we had a son she'd be like i never had a kid and he'd be like what it would be this whole thing i want someone who's really good at writing fanfic <laughs> not dumb fanfic i want a good fanfic writer write me an au story where jesse is an amnesiac in Tun Tun's place and then just rewrite all of Thunderdome. I want to read that. I think you could write it. Ugh, I'm so busy though. <laughs> I've got a podcast to do. <laughs> nope. That is valid. <laughs> I don't think people would prefer if I take all of that time off from the podcast to write a fan fiction. <laughs> 
I'm good at some kinds of writing. I'm not good at all types of writing. <laughs> but we are certainly off the beaten path because as we are shown our saxophone player, Tun Tun Tattoo, sitting there playing, he stops and he turns because he senses that there are other people in the room. It is revealed that Auntie's personal saxophone player is blind as a added bit of color into his character. But off screen, we hear the collector say, a warrior, Auntie. One could even say, a road warrior. Mm. They could, but he doesn't. No. We cut from Tun Tun over to Max, who is standing flanked by a couple of guards. And he and them, they turn and the collector pulls back the curtain and in walks none other than Tina Turner. Yes, finally. I say finally. We're 12 minutes into the movie and Tina Turner shows up. That's pretty good. 1985 Tina Turner. Yes. In all her glory. Oh my god. Okay. So we can talk about this scene or we can talk about Tina Turner. Let's talk about Tina Turner first. Yes. <laughs> As we were talking about back in week one, Tina Turner was already huge music star. She was looking to get into films. She actually had a couple of small bits and appearances in other movies before she did Mad Max. And this was really her big role. Like this is definitely the one where she had the most screen time. Tina Turner was born Anna Mae Bullock on November 26th, 1939 in Nutbush, Tennessee. Anna initially grew up with her family. Her mother left her father. She ended up moving in with her grandmother at one point. And then when her grandmother died, she moved back in with her mother. And when all was said and done, Anna Mae Bullock graduated from Sumner High School in 1958, and after her graduation, she worked as a nurse's aide with dreams of becoming an actual nurse. Then she met Ike Turner, who was part of the Kings of Rhythm, and basically they gave her a microphone one night, and her performing on stage pretty much picked up from there. She had a long career of music before she got into the whole acting thing and it wasn't until after her second world tour that she signed on to do Thunderdome. As for her portrayal of Auntie Entity, the critical response was generally positive and as the film became a global success she received a NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Actress and she also received as we mentioned back when we were talking about One of the Living, a Grammy Award for Best Female Vocal Rock Performance. Her other film roles include an appearance as part of the large singing assembly at the end of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band in 1978. She played the Acid Queen in the rock opera Tommy in 1975. And following Beyond Thunderdome, she had a very small part in 1993's Last Action Hero, where she played the mayor that Arnold Schwarzenegger just brushes off and walks right by. Yeah, her acting work isn't extensive. It's kind of hard to go through her IMDb page because she's listed as a soundtrack for so many, for 119 entries. Mm-hmm. Hey, she performed on Daria. <clears throat> oh, interesting. I think her music videos, she's listed as an actress for. Oh, yeah. That's how IMDb does it. Yeah. So it's hard to look at the things she's acted in as well, because it's mixed in with all of her music videos. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fun thing about Tina Turner, not only did she sing the theme song for Beyond Thunderdome, she also sang the theme song to the James Bond movie Goldeneye, which I think is one of the best parts of that movie. There's a lot of good James Bond puns in that one, too. Plus, it's got Sean Bean. Oh, the, okay. Yeah. 
Yeah. That James Bond movie. Yeah. The one with Sean Bean. I say. Where he dies. Now that I think of it, GoldenEye is probably one of the better Pierce Brosnan James Bond movies. Um. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, the other ones that he's been in. You know, I'm just not well-versed in James Bond at all enough to talk about it. Are you pretty familiar with Tina Turner's songs and whatnot? Enough to pick out a favorite? Um... A little. Basically what what's just been on the radio. And I've always been a big fan of what's love got to do with it. Yeah. Which might be, you know, a very common answer. But, you know, what I know of her is what's on the radio, so. Right. What's Love Got to Do With It is probably one of my favorite songs to just quote out of context. <laughs> yeah, that's fitting. That's you. That's a fun one. You've also got Simply the Best. Mm. Simply the Best. That's been used in a couple of ad campaigns. That's pretty fun. I think, uh, was it Ford or Chevy? I can't really remember. Oh, yeah. I was going to say Coke, but it's not. It's, I think it's Chevy. Mm-hmm. It's Simply the Best. And then, of course, she's got her rendition of Proud Mary. That's also very, very good. So oh, I, the way she performs it is awe-inspiring because she just pours so much energy into it. Yeah. And she's got that, like, dance move she does where it's like a shimmy or something. And then it, like, just gets faster. And then she, like, starts flailing around. It's good stuff. <laughs> and We Don't Need Another Hero is also one of my favorite songs of oh, hers. absolutely. And even before I connected it to thunderdome i didn't realize for a long time the line we don't need another hero is then followed up by beyond thunderdome i did not realize that i didn't know that this song was so specifically for this movie (laughs) and now i feel a little foolish Ah, that's fine but yeah i've always loved this song too another fun fact about tina turner in this movie and this is from the imdb trivia page the dress that she wears weighed 121 pounds <gasps> whoa or 55 kilograms oh my gosh that's almost as much as she weighs yeah <laughs> holy crap she was also never actually referred to as auntie entity in this movie she's only ever referred to as auntie and in order for her to have the hair that she does in this movie she had to shave her head for the wig to fit properly she does have a lot of hair mm, that she does so okay i actually thought this was her hair which she's never really had long hair she's always had that short style like feathered yes but she's got a lot of hair so it doesn't surprise me that to get the wig to fit they had to get rid of it i really like her look in this movie because all of that hair it almost looks like a mane absolutely like she's a lioness and her penthouse is her pride rock absolutely and she all just circle of life sit up there <laughs> i don't know one other thing about tina turner is that she is so drastically different from hugh keys burn and kill nielsen in the way she presents herself in the way she carries herself auntie knows what's up and she knows what she wants to happen she's not an aimless wanderer like toe cutter she's not a roving warlord like humongous she is the hero of yesterday. Of the villains we have seen, villain is a very strong word. Antagonists. For, yes, antagonists. Of the antagonists that we've seen so far in the series, she certainly has been the most skilled, put down the deepest roots, been the overall most successful while maintaining probably the best personality and love of her subjects. Let's say a, a love term. of life. She has a joie de vivre about her. Yes. 
Which Toe Cutter definitely had that as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, his people adored him and he was just so... With the mane, he also had like the mane of hair. But he was also kind of an egomaniac. He was. And he was also (laughs) pretty small scale. Yeah. We did see him, our first look at him, with a large group of bikers. That's the only time we saw such a large group. The rest of the time it was his core eight. Right about. Yeah, but Auntie, the entire movie, the entire time we see her, is actively leading a large group of people Mm -hmm. and an actual settlement that is actually progressing back towards having a society. Yeah, there's a lot to be said about people in the wasteland who create. We need them. Even if they turn slightly questionable like Auntie does, we still need them. Mm -hmm. And we mentioned a little bit her humor as we cut into this scene where the collector is pulling back the curtain for auntie to walk in he said before that this warrior that he's brought her is a man who has lost everything and is looking for a deal and she walks into that room and she looks at max and she says oh but he's just a raggedy man question maybe i should leave this question to the end and if so you can just edit this out that's her last line as well too is calling him a raggedy man i think so yeah she i'm trying to think forward to the end of the movie yeah i think she says something like something 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 Thing, well, aren't we man. a pair, Raggedy Man? Raggedy Man, and then walks away, and that's it. And then I think the actual last line that she has is "See you later, soldier," or something like that. Let me open up my notes for the end of the movie real quick. Okay. So I think she opens the movie the same way she closes the movie. The last thing that Auntie says to Max is, ain't we a pair, raggedy man? And then she goes back to her vehicle, puts one foot in it, says goodbye, soldier, hops in, and they all drive away. All right. I think that's very interesting that she enters and exits in the same way. She has that little nickname for him. I think that's the movie's translation of the spark that they are supposed to have. Right. Now, does the book go into that or does it just mention it offhandedly? It mentions a couple separate times the attraction between them. Is it one way or is um, it two way? Well, I, mean... I can't remember if it's two way. I remember specifically that Auntie feels an attraction towards Max and I mean he's played by Mel Gibson right 1985 Mel Gibson right in his prime Mel Gibson and when the deal goes sour she does express some sadness that he has to leave sadness is a strong word some oh that's too bad okay bye (laughs) yeah Maybe that's one thing that Auntie could have taken from a Morton Joe to just have a vault of harem men to pull from. Yeah. What's her saxophone player's name? Tun-tun? No, not Tun-tun. The other one. Oh, Tim Capello? Yeah. It could be Mad Max and Tim Capello. Yeah. Or it would be an opportunity to have Ike have a cameo. Yeah. Keep him in chains. (laughs) 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 Oh... For him to work on the winch. Ike and Tina have had a rough relationship over the years. It's this whole thing that I didn't do any research into, so I am not qualified to talk about it. Mildly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. They made a movie about that. Yep. Angela Bassett. Ooh, in the movie that they made where Angela Bassett played Tina Turner, in the scenes where she had to sing, Tina Turner did the voiceover. So nice. that when Angela Bassett sang, she was lip syncing to Tina Turner. That's very cool. And I've never seen that movie. Neither have I. But Angela Bassett is always good. Yes, she is. Always good. Anyway, Auntie comes in 
She makes her raggedy man quip. The collector walks in and says he's quick. And he would know firsthand because he got grabbed. So Auntie looks over at Iron Bar and asks him, you think he can do it? And Iron Bar says, maybe. It's one of the few lines that we get out of Angry Anderson in this movie. But at this point, I have to wonder, do what? Like what? Right. They're dancing around the subject trying to pique our curiosity as to why Max has been brought here seemingly for a specific purpose to fulfill a specific task. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows what it is except Max. Yeah. All he knows is that 24 hours of his life in exchange for his vehicle. That's Mm -hmm. what he's been promised. And yes, we are going to find out, I believe, before the end of next week. It will all be explained. It will all be explained. Okay. That there's going to be some house cleaning that needs to happen. In the meantime... Auntie is performing a pretty standard job interview. Mm -hmm. She has already noticed his physical presentation. She's not impressed by it, so that's kind of a mark against Max. But then she talks about his work history, wants to know what he did before the fall. Mm -hmm. And I love how Max is definitely on the defensive right now. He is not making a move until he's bidden to do so. He's not saying anything until someone has addressed him first. He is aware of how many other people there are in this room that are all allied together and that should something happen that he is pretty much on his own. So he's being very careful. He's minding his P's and Q's, so to speak. It's definitely to his advantage that the walls of this penthouse are pretty transparent. So there's nobody hiding. Right. (laughs) He has been able to scope out the entire place and knows how many people are there. And like you said, they are allied against him. I do wish that we had gotten the shot of him scoping the place out. Like when he went into the compound in Road Warrior. We actually got to see him looking around, getting the lay of the land. Yeah. In this scene, his entrance, we lost that in favor of him giving his sad eyes to the saxophone player. Which was also very nice. So, I don't know. Either one would have been nice. So Auntie bids Max to step forward and he steps forward and she does this little walk around, scoping him out, checking him out from all angles. And I like how she asks, and what did you do before this? And he says flat out, I was a cop, a driver. And it's nice to see that he's gotten over his aversion to talking about life before the Great Collapse. I feel like a decade on from Road Warrior that maybe, maybe he and the gyro captain might might get along better. (laughs) I make no promises. Right. So far, Max does seem to be a more emotionally stable person. We have seen him display a bit of violence, but it wasn't over the top. He didn't actually hurt anybody. He just made his point heard and stopped there. So he does seem to be a bit more of a stable person. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, the fact that Max was a cop at one point pleases Auntie to no end. And she comments, oh, how the world turns one day, cock of the walk, next, a feather duster. I wanted to make like a bird pun at the top of this episode and be like, oh, yeah, welcome to that Max Minute, bird pun, bird pun, ha ha ha. And then it just, <laughs> it didn't track when I was writing it. So oh, I changed it up last minute. When I saw the dialogue for this moment i thought of you and her play on words and i had to smile at how much i bet this pleased you it did 
It did. I liked it. It's a cleverness and a playfulness that we're not used to seeing in the wasteland. I had in my notes, and I didn't say it out loud, back in minute 10, when we were hearing Dr. Dealgood selling the camels, he was using an element of comedy to help put people at ease, put them in a good mood, and they're more likely to buy from him and buy at a higher price. It's a tactic that movie makers use today with their big dramas. They put in an element of comedy, helps draw more people to the movie. They mm. make more money. Plus, it's always nice to have a little bit of comedic release when you've got high drama situations. Exactly. And that's exactly what Auntie is doing here. Yeah. She is essentially doing an interview for a hired hit, and it's a very high-pressure situation. They are dealing with subtleties, as we will hear explained later on in the movie. So a little touch of levity is always nice. And after she makes her feather duster comment, she leans back a little bit from Max and he says... Play something, Tun Tun. Something tragic. Because, oh, how sad it is that Max was once in a position of authority and the collapse just brought him low. And it's only the last two, three seconds of this minute where Tun Tun nods and starts playing the saxophone again. And we only get a couple of notes. I definitely liked the way that Auntie said, Tun Tun, play something tragic. It was almost frivolous that she was definitely doing this in a mocking way. That she was, she was jabbing at him that he was once something great. Oh, you wastelander and your tragic backstory. Oh, yeah. no. Oh, she no. hasn't even heard the half of it. <laughs> so she's definitely jabbing at him. Just poking a little bit. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll get more into this later on down in the interview. But is she poking on purpose? trying to get a reaction out of him to see what he can do. Like testing out his temperament? Yes. To see if he can actually take a joke, if he can stay calm under pressure? Yeah, I'll bet that's exactly what she's doing. And we'll get more insights into that later on. I like that. Yeah. yeah. And that really brings us to the end of this minute. That wraps us on minute 12. For our Patreon subscribers, we've got Anarchy Road coming out every weekend. It's our extra show. This week, coming up on Anarchy Road, Moira tosses Peter's phone out of a window. Granny Wendy tells the children about how her neighbor stole her life story for profit. And Peter tells a charming joke about lawyers. So you have that to look forward to. Yes, I'm definitely looking forward to getting into the legalities of the story. Yeah. That we had kind of were curious about early on in I think our first episode. We were curious about that. So we're going to learn a little bit more about legal matters. So exciting. Yeah, it's going to be fun. If you haven't gone over to our Patreon, it's $3 a month to access Anarchy Road, which is our extra weekend show. It more or less exists as a separate entity from Mad Max Minute. You don't have to listen to one to get the full enjoyment out of the other, but it's an opportunity to get more of us each week and also help us keep afloat, which you're going to hear more about in our outro anyway. But, you know, until Monday, have a good weekend, and we'll see y'all back here again next week. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link 
link, join our Patreon by clicking the support link, or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link. Thank you for joining us for Minute 12 of Beyond Thunderdome. See you next time. Everybody say-